they feel that it's a taboo to talk because we're such a close-knit community thinking that if they talk about those issues that everyone else would know but praise to god because i've been there for for a while now in the assyrian resource center people have the trust in me to to talk about it yes G'day in Shlamalochon. My name is Ninos Kenna, and in today's episode 181 of the Assyrian podcast, we get to hear from someone that most Assyrian families in Sydney either know or have been helped by. <laughs> I've known Carmen Lazard for about 15 years now, and initially through Assyrian school, but more recently through the Assyrian Australian Association. Now, Carmen has dedicated her life to our people. You know, we all have a role to play in our nation. It can be as simple as putting your hand up and saying you're a Syrian at a work function, all the way through to representing our nation at large political events. Carmen's love for our nation manifested in day-to-day needs of our community in Sydney. In my opinion, Carmen's work would be most satisfying. I mean, just imagine seeing the look on those gorgeous, doe-eyed Assyrian kids as they learn their mother tongue and form a lifelong love of their nation and community. Or just imagine bumping into a family at the local mall and having a chat, knowing their safety and success in Australia is owed to your help. Talk about career satisfaction. And we get to hear from her today. It's not all lovely stories. Being the trusted face for many Assyrians in Australia, Carmen's got the guts to deal with taboo and difficult issues head on. I'm talking about the blight of domestic violence and the challenges of mental health. For some, it might be confronting to hear, but it's really important that we're honest with ourselves as a community and nation. If anything discussed in today's episode was distressing or triggering, please contact us so we can refer you to the most relevant help in your area. On the topic of serving your nation, sponsoring us also works. We're looking for sponsors. If you or your business are interested, contact us at info at assyrianpodcast.com. Also, show the world how Assyrian you are by browsing our shop. (laughs) When you go to assyrianpodcast.com, go to the little hamburger button in the upper left-hand corner, tap or click shop, and take your pick of t-shirts or sweatshirts, complete with our cool logo. So, while you're browsing our store, I present Carmen Lazar. Enjoy. Carmen Lazar, thank you very much for joining us on the Assyrian podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I have known you for, wow, maybe 15 years? Yes, almost. I first met you at Assyrian school. Yes. You were the principal. Yes, I was. You were the principal, yeah. And you've been involved with Assyrian school for such a long time. Yes, I certainly have. Yeah. Do you have any fond memories? Oh, I do, yes, yes. I mean, I can show you my memories, but not all of them were, were fun. But <laughs> certainly you, you would have had, you'd have some fun memories. Oh, I did, yes. I mean, when I, I remember when I started the, uh, well, first of all, I went to the Assyrian language school myself to, to learn how to read and write the language. So you went to school here? Yes, I did. Assyrian yes. language school yes, here? Yes, yes, I did. Where, where were you born? In Tehran, Iran. You were born in Iran? Yes, 
Okay, and when did you arrive in Australia? We arrived on 10th of April 1971. 71? Yes. Okay, so the majority of Iranian emigres to the West arrived you know, after the revolution, but you, you arrived before the revolution. We did, yes, yes. Why, why would your parents have chosen Australia, or why would they have chosen to leave Iran? Because well, Iran was good then, no? It was very good. See, um, my uh, late father, John Givergis, he used to work in the American embassy. He was there for 21 years. So um, the embassy wanted to relocate us to Washington. And during that time, my late uncle Hubert migrated to Australia in 1970. So um, being orphans, my father said, no, I have to go and follow my brother. And hence why we came to Australia. Okay, so your father was an orphan? Yes. Okay. Do you know the story behind that? Yes, I do, yes. So um, my father and his brother Hubert, and they had two sisters, um, Esther and uh, Axenia. They, they were orphans, orphans since the age of very, very young, like probably 10 years old. Yeah. Well, I mean, what had happened to your grandparents? They, they yeah. Uh, uh, they, the father was killed. Okay. And War? Yes. And the mother was, uh, yeah, unwell. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear. Yes, thank you. I'm sorry to hear. So you moved to Australia in 1971. Yes, we did. You were young. You yes. You would have been at school. Very young, yes, yes. Mm. And what were your first impressions of Australia? Well, when we arrived in Australia, obviously, um, the, there were only about uh, four or five families, Assyrian families, that resided in, in, in town, in Sydney. So we stayed there for quite a long time and went to school Yes, and we completed our high school and then completed college. And then my parents said, all right, now we will integrate you into a Syrian community. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't, you weren't living in Fairfield? No, no, no. You were living near the city? Yes, we lived near the city. We lived near the airport. Uh, we okay. lived in Coogee Beach, Randwick, oh, then Bronte wow. Beach, and then all of a sudden straight into western suburbs was there a, a culture shock because you would have left tehran and moved into a beachside suburb in australia a very culture shock yes we were um i remember when we came to australia obviously because of you know being uh, from middle east and coming to sydney near the beaches we we were the darkest in, in, in now with, with our students without a tan without a tan at all and and all all and all the students were so shocked and surprised because we had black hair and we were dark and yeah and we were surprised looking at them as well did they so, make fun of you of course they did all the time all the time i remember i'm um, coming home crying and i said dad they're calling me names because you know i'm a new arrival and i remember my father said well whether you like it or not, you are one. So moving forward, you go back to school tomorrow and just say, look, this wog girl wants to be your friends, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so I used to listen to my parents all the time, as we all did. So I went back to school and I said that to those friends and we became good friends then. Really? Yes. Wow. So you just you just went up to them straight up and said, I'm... I'm Yes, I am a wog. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, I'm a wog, and I'm here. Wow! For those that don't know, wog is a derogatory term for uh, a Mediterranean 
in Australia. In in the UK, that word is incredibly offensive. Yes. But in Australia, it is also offensive, but has been owned by Mediterranean communities and is used now quite cheerily, actually. Yeah. Yes. But you were not really connected with the Assyrian community in when you first arrived. Was that something you longed for, that you wanted to be with the Assyrian community when you were young, or was it something that you were really introduced to? No, we were really introduced to. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you would. Um, what would be the extent of your involvement with the Assyrian community when you were young? When we were in 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 town, yeah. uh, nothing. It was just basically every Sunday, uh, my parents would bring us to Fairfield to go to church, and that's it. That was it. And that was it. Um, yes, obviously, when we came, when we arrived in Australia in 1971, we didn't have an Assyrian church, so we used to go to uh, English church. It was good for us because we learned English very quickly, as yeah. obviously. But yeah. every Sunday we used to go to church. Yeah. But then, and then 1974, when we had our Assyrian church in Fairfield, so our treat was, you know, every Sunday we'd, we'd come in and um, see our communities and go to church. What was your family's response like, or what, how did your your parents, or how did you feel when you walked into church, Assyrian church, for the first time and had that Assyrian mass? Do you uh, remember that? Yes, of course I do. I felt like I was back in Tehran. It was so exciting. I thought it was Christmas. And I said, Mom, mother, father, why don't we just move here? Because, you know, they're from our culture. And um, my parents' words for us was, well, promise me, you know, you and your sisters that you do very good at school and I'll, uh, we'll buy a house in, you know, western suburbs in, in Fairfield. Fairfield. So we worked so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And you finished high school? And, yes. And, and you ended up moving to Fairfield? Yes. Oh, the whole family did? Yes, the whole family did, yes. Okay. Was that, did that feel like a homecoming? It was. It was so comfortable. It was like a comfort zone. Yeah, because the whole community was yes. there. Yes, yes. Yeah. I feel like today a lot of Assyrians, particularly the Assyrians born here, mm. want to escape from from their own culture in the sense of, leaving Fairfield, mm. maybe not escape from their own culture. Oh, I guess maybe for some people it is escaping from their own culture, but just being separated physically from, you know, their culture, whether it's Fairfield or whether it's Turlock or, or whether it's Skokie, mm, mm. Uh, they just want to, to leave. But then you were excited to arrive into it. Absolutely. <laughs> very excited in, to arrive into it. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's very good. What sparked your, because you've been, for, for those that don't know, you've been involved in the Assyrian community for many years. Yes. Whether it's in the Australian, Assyrian-Australian Association or whether it's through the Assyrian School or the Assyrian Resource Centre. What was the spark inside you to serve? Just my culture. I love my culture. I love, I love being Assyrian. And, 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 and I love, I am who I am. And, and, and hence why I was striving to find, you know, young people that spoke my language. I wanted to be friends with them. And then I um, said to my parents, I want to go to church. And then went to church, became friends again with even deacons of the church. Mm. So 
they asked me to become a Sunday school teacher. Wow. When was this? That was in, oh, that was in year uh, 19, early 1980s. What is it about our community that you love? I just, just the, the history that goes back. I mean, I've studied the Assyrian history, obviously, and, and the torture and trauma that our people have gone through since, you know, 1930s. And that really triggered me. That really um, upset me that the fact that why, why did we go through this, you know? And, um, and I thought that I don't know whether I was, I was called or I was gifted or I wanted to do what I was doing, but I just didn't want to stop. I wanted to be involved heavily. Okay. Yes. Okay. In terms of your involvement in Assyrian school, you ended up becoming the principal. Yes. Okay. Was that something brought on to you or was that something that you aimed for? Was that an ambition? Well, what happened, um, it was, it was, I think it was in my third year teaching mm-hmm. and um, I remember that um, from the beginning of the, of the, um, the school, I had 20 students in my class. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the year, I had 35 students. Why? (laughs) They all wanted to come to my class. Okay. All all those kids wanted to come to my class because it was very interactive. And I think the passion, my passion for Assyrian, it just just went across those students. Were the kids passionate? Very passionate, yes. I made them... You made them passionate. Very passionate. <laughs> very passionate. I'll tell you what, I'm going to be really honest with you. Please do. I hated Assyrian school. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. So I, I was forced into it. My, mm. my parents would say, you are going to Assyrian school on Saturday. No ifs, no buts. Yes. And so for me, it was like prison because you couldn't leave. It was, it was only three hours, three or four hours. That was it. Yes. But it felt, it felt like all day. It felt like eight hours to me. Wow. And I really didn't like it. And I formed some great friendships in Assyrian school out of uh, like a, a, a camaraderie of all these other young guys that also hated Assyrian mm. school because they were forced to go as well. Yes. So for you to have 20 and then 35 at the end of the, the, the semester. Yes. You know, you got to speak to me about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and that's why, and that's why what we did is, um, because it wasn't, so the reason is um, when a child goes to, especially on a Saturday school, you know, you cannot treat that child as if he's going to, you know, mainstream school from Monday to Friday. So it's a Saturday. So you need to make it fun for them. You need to make it more interactive for them. So that's what I used to do. Okay. So the first say the first lessons it was all about we used to just converse in you know the Assyrian history and you know the culture so it was just conversations it was all conversations so the kids used to and I used to ask them to um say like a week like the next week after to tell me exactly what they did at home what did they do at school you know where did they go did they go out did they go to weddings did they go out with their friends all of this was in Surat Surat so we all had they all had to speak in Surat okay and the, the awesome thing was that I made a deal with them that when they go home and if their mom and dad spoke English or um 
they must have to bring their mother, mothers and fathers back to school the next week. Okay. So they used to bring their mothers and fathers <laughs> and they to didn't school. Want to do that. <laughs> they did, yes. And then uh, the mothers used to say, "Well, Miss, I don't know why I'm here, but my son told me that I've got to come and see you." <laughs> so and I used to say, "Oh, thank you for coming." So we do have an adult class, no. and you have to go and see. So, no, but I can't. I've got to go home and make dolma. I said, "I don't care. You spoke English at home," and the kids used to love it. So it was the interaction was awesome absolutely so the kids used to say oh mom if you speak one word english you're coming with me so it was all as serious so we made it fun it was yeah and was english class so so i remember there was an adult class did uh participation in that class grow yes absolutely and and there were assyrians (laughs) yes there were assyrians yes I, i think that was such an important class that adult class. It's it's still around today, right? Yeah, not anymore, unfortunately. Mm. Not anymore. Uh, and the reason for that is because, you know, we've got, uh, because of um, the parents, you know, going, socialising in different ways, and also because of the school system in Australia has changed. So How, how has it changed? It, well, because what, what happens um, now... It's it's all about working with children, check um, checks okay. that they've got to do, and the parents cannot come to the school, and yeah, so it's just it's a just different policy. Okay, it's a different education policy, and that's why, unfortunately, the parents aren't able to go to school. But I'm glad that when I when I was there, that they went because <laughs> they had to. Otherwise, I would have gone to their home and yeah. said, right, talk Assyrian. When did you finish up at Assyrian school? Well, when I, um, so I, I became a principal and, and before that. Which year was that? Oh, that was about four years ago, four or five years ago, I'd say. Oh, that, re- that was recent. It recent, I yes. I remember seeing you, it was about, it was 2012 maybe? Uh, 14, 14, 15, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were yeah. principal then? Yes, yes. Okay. So what happened, um, obviously, when, when I started the, the language school, it's, the school didn't have a name, right? It was just said, it, it just had a Syrian language school. And I thought, but we've got to have a name. We cannot not have a name. So I remember that um, I gathered all my teachers and I said, okay, um, we're going to work on the name. And I said, you know, being a woman yes. and being an autoreta from Tehran, I suggested to have the name, the school name Shamiran. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, my husband, Sargon, used to run the canteen for us. He overheard when I said that. So he runs in the class and says, don't listen to her just because she's from Iraneta, <laughs> she's from Tehran. She wants to put Shamiran. <laughs> Oh my God. So because of that, he, uh, yeah, so what we had to do is just write all the names and we came up with Diklad. So I compromised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then after that, we, we, we got uniforms for students. And then after that, I, um, we published seven textbooks in the Assyrian language mm. and also syllabus. And then we had did um, other nationalities would go to the Department of Education and wanting to have the same model as we did. So the Department of Education used to send those nationalities to our school Mm -hmm. and ask myself if I could help them to establish a school for them, which was great for the Assyrian Australian Associations because we were doing such a great job with education. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I'm glad we're talking about school, but 
you're much more famous in the community for your other work in the ARC, in the Assyrian Resource Center. Mm -hmm. And that was formed in the 80s. Yes. Were you involved from the start or was it something that you entered in a bit later? No, I entered in a bit later. Um, When the... um the Assyrian Resource Centre was formed. I was on the board of uh, Assyrian Australian Association. Mm -hmm. So I was a member, then I became a secretary, then a deputy uh, vice president. Yes. So I've been involved with the um, the Assyrian Australian Associations um, just after you were born, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And... You were working, so you so you were involved in the Assyrian community, but it was more of a weekend thing, right? Yes. Okay, and you were working. You had a day job. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. What What was that? So I used to work in um, Sydney Morning Herald. Yes. I was a team leader there. Uh, I was an accountant. Yeah. And then after that, I um, went into employment agencies, but not as such like finding jobs. I was the employee liaison officer for, you know, over 3,000 staff members. So I used to look after them. Mm -hmm. And then I remember that... um, I received a phone call from the um, the president of Assyrian Australian Association, saying that Carmen, um, the um, the worker that we had, he has now found you know a, a, another position within the Department of Health. Would you be able to write us a position vacant so we can employ someone? And I said, okay, I'll try my best. So I contacted, you know, a few people and they helped me with the job description. Mm. So we put the job descriptions out. And then I remember my husband said to me, well, you always like to work, you know, be with the Assyrian community. Why don't you apply for this position? I said, but I'm, I am helping community from different, you know. Through way, school. And through, through school. And through, yeah. And he goes, oh, it's up to you, Carmen. So anyway, I thought about it and I thought, you know what? He's right. Maybe I should put up my hand. And I did. And, and praise to God, this was 12 years ago. I applied as well. And there were so many amazing candidates that, that applied for this position. Mm. But um, it, I was just lucky that, that I got the job. And, and I've been there ever since. Ever since. Yes. No regrets. No regrets at all. I love it. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. What would be your if, if someone were to ask you one legacy you left at the ARC? What would it be? Well, Does anything come to mind? Well, yes, yes. I mean, advocacy. I mean, especially say, for example, immigration. Mm-hmm. Immigration. I I remember when I had the liaison officers from Department of Immigration came and saw me, and they said, "Oh, look, Carmen, um, please, can you tell?" It was the, that time that uh, people were coming by vote by, by boat and by by this airplane. Two thousand. Yes, but it wasn't it wasn't our people. But they came and saw me, and then I thought, "Geez, our people don't do this." So. I said, sure, no problems. I will let my people know. Mm-hmm. Um, As in, don't come by boat. That's right, yeah. But I never did it. So two weeks later, I emailed the department and I said, um, I've told my people, do not come by boat. However, their applications are getting rejected. So shall I tell them? 
to come by boat. <laughs> <laughs> what did they say? And to my surprisement, to my surprisement, the day that it was going to be announced, I was in parliament yeah. because we, the, the, the secretary general from immigration uh, office called all the religious leaders from Australia to come. And I remember our re- religious leader, uh, I remember Marmila said to me, Carmen, we're not immigration. Would you, could you please go in my place? And I said, I will definitely go. Thank you. So I remember when I went into uh, to the parliament, to the meeting, and I went into a wrong room and it was a media room. And I saw the minister of immigration and it was all just channels, all channels, knives, everyone, cameras everywhere. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> and I, I saw the minister's face and he looked at me and he smiled. Yeah. As he was announcing, he said, um, it was, um, it, it, you know, it's been decided that we will give extra 1,000 visas for Assyrians in wow. Iraq and Syria. And wow. that, that was because of the email that I sent. Yeah. So that was it. Then I started, started, and then I remember um, last, again, I was invited to round table discussion in, in Canberra, capital city of Australia. Uh, I was part of it and I was asked to, um, we were told that, you know, that Australia would be migrating 12,000 people from Middle East. And before um, we all, we, obviously we all had our questions, statements to provide, mm. And to my surprise, the Prime Minister told everyone, look, I know you all have statements to, to write, but we have, we've chosen two people. We'll ask them first to talk. And I remember he mentioned my name first. And I thought, well, praise to God. And I did say that in front of everyone, everyone. And I had my hands up. I had my hands up and I said, praise to God. This is a prayer from my, my people. <laughs> yes. And so I told him exactly what it needed to be done. So, and the prime minister said, well, hence why we've asked you to speak. Mm. So, and then that was it. So a few months wow. later, we started um, giving out file numbers to the government. So you've basically changed the lives of thousands of Assyrians. Praise to God. Like, yes. Uh, how does that make you feel that, you know, thousands of Assyrians are here and living in Australia? Yes. In, in, uh, how does that make you feel? Uh, overwhelmed with joy. I mean, can I just tell you something? Mm-hmm. When I was a very young girl, I always wanted to be a nun. Why? Always, I just, I was very close to church, even from, from Tehran. I, I was very little, but I was in a choir group. So I always wanted to be a nun. And my parents said... Well, we didn't have nuns in the church. No, exactly. So my parents said, you can't come in because, you know, we're not Catholic. So you can't, we don't have nuns. Yeah. So I always want to do things. Like I just, it, I had, I had that gift. Okay. And when I achieved that gift through working through the Assyrian Australian Association, to me, it was like, okay, well, I have achieved my goal. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be a nun, but through a different way, I can help people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's fantastic. And could you tell me about some of the initiatives that the ARC is involved in 
with today? Oh, we have a lot. We have um, besides, okay, so we help um, refugees and, and migrants, you know, integrate to Australia also. Um, we link them to mainstream services. We do referral services. Uh, we empower them. We bring... Um, what do you mean by empower? By introducing them to um, looking at, first of all, looking at their qualifications, if they have any qualifications from overseas and try to recognize their qualifications. So I have a very close relationship with universities, also from colleges, from TAFE. Mm -hmm. um, so what I do is... Um, TAFE is a vocational school in Australia. That's right. Thank you. So I take their qualifications with me and sometimes I do take those vulnerables with me to, to TAFE and also to universities to help them to um, enrol. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the, the relationship that I have built with um, Department of Education through universities and, and, and colleges or mm -hmm. TAFE is now every time that a student wants to study social science or, or community services, anything that deals with, with the community or humanitarian, um, they have to complete their hours in our centre. Mm -hmm in order to be recognized. So that's an achievement because I we get lots of Assyrians. And also at the same time empowering them is um, I ask them what would they like to be, you know, in, in what would they like to achieve in Australia because they're in Australia. So, you know, in, in order to be, to have a good life, they've got to be educated. They've got to have good jobs. So obviously I, I look at their qualifications and, and if they're not, and if they haven't studied, they haven't been educated, you know, from Iraq or Syria, obviously due to circumstances, then I ask them, what would they like to do? What would they, what their wishes are? So I follow their wishes for them. Mm. Say, for example, you know, one of them wanted to be a pharmacist. So I was on the board of the of a hospital of community participation team for over 10 years. I was the chair. So I took those people with me to the community participation and introduced them to the pharmacists. To the, so just to give them a, a picture of what it looks like and if they wanted to study. So what I, because they didn't have overseas qualifications with them, obviously they had to have some sort of a recognition in Australia. So I contacted TAFE New South Wales. I've asked them to um, do courses in our centre, in a Syrian resource centre. And they did. At one time, I had 14 volunteers mm. that came to our centre. So um, those 14 volunteers were able to achieve um, Certificate 4 and also Diploma. So from then, they were able to go to pursue to universities, and they did. They did. That's fantastic. Yes, yes. What, what have you noticed about the Assyrian community? Because you're at the forefront. I yes. mean, when an Assyrian arrives in Australia, it's you're the first person they see yes. or, or deal with and, and get help from. What have you noticed about Assyrians migrating from, from say, when you first started to, to more recently, are there less Assyrians coming through now or, or how have their needs changed? Well, no, we have quite a few, a few thousands of Assyrians have arrived. And unfortunately, due to COVID, 
um, that stopped, obviously. But I was advised by the Department of um, Immigration that they have granted nine and a half thousand extra visas to, to our people. So I'm looking forward to see them. They'll be definitely coming. But to my surprisement, um, quite a few of those um, young, you know, young men and, and, and women have grown into, um, you know, neighboring countries while their parents were seeking refuge in Lebanon, Jordan and Turkey. And, and, and I'm so proud of them. The fact that they've, as soon as they arrived in Australia, they came to our center. And to my surprise, it's like, how did you know where we were? Mm. So they said that we um, followed you on, on, on social media and, and also on, com- on community radios that you speak. So we want you to help us. We want to achieve our goals. This is, they've just arrived in Australia. Like a day, a day arrived in Australia. I had a young lady that, uh, ha- that she caught a train. And I said, how did you, how, where did you know that how to catch a train? She says, Carmen, I was hungry for education. And we didn't get that while we were um, in the neighbouring countries. Where was she from, Lebanon? They, from, they went from Baghdad to Lebanon and then they came to Australia. Australia, okay. Yes, yes. And, um, and, and they did. They, they came and they donated their time because they wanted to learn. It was all about them. And, and I gave them that space. Mm. So, um, and I'm very excited. I remember that the young lady, two weeks later, she said, oh, look, I'm sorry, I can't come and see you anymore because I've registered in university and I'm studying engineering. So we've had quite a few successes that. What are your thoughts about people returning to homeland? Um, uh, uh, there's a few people I've, who have actually returned. Yes, yes. And, and you know, being, um, you know, a Syrian from Iran and being in Australia since 1971, personally, that's my dream. Th- this is the dream. Absolutely. Yeah. This is my dream. I would love to go to, you know, homeland and just just feel the earth, you know, and, and, and touch touch the soil and touch those buildings. Even though, like I said, I'm from Tehran and I've been here for such a long time, but it's just that feeling, yes. Mm. Mm. There's a view that with a lot of Assyrians migrating here to the West that we're abandoning our homeland, that that everyone's leaving to come here, but who's left in the homeland to, to preserve it or to protect do you have has anyone discussed that with you at all or has that view Yes absolutely absolutely they don't even want to come themselves We've had so many of um of our people that forcibly they had to leave okay. their homelands but even even when they flee to for, for safety they yeah. went to Lebanon Jordan or Turkey yeah. they could not stay there for long they went back again Back to Iraq. Absolutely. They went back to Iraq because they could not take, they, they felt... They're in limbo. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And they, I, I felt that they felt very sense of guilt. Okay. It's like, why would I want to leave my homeland? Okay. So you get that sense of guilt All a lot. The time. Oh, absolutely. Even when they arrive in Australia. Yeah. Six months later, one year later, they want to go back again. But I say to them, please don't do that. At least become an Australian citizen before you go. 
Is it just out of guilt? Are, are there are there other reasons, or is it just no, guilt? no? I just it, it's just they just, they feel homesick. Okay. Yes. Very much. Yeah. Even though Fairfield here in 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 Sydney, it's like. I can imagine little, it's, it's little a Baghdad. Series. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. It's little Baghdad, but still it's just, it doesn't satisfy okay. them. Have you noticed any different issues that Assyrians have to deal with when they arrive in Australia? Have those issues changed? No, unfortunately, um, they haven't changed. They've gone worse. How so? Well, obviously, you know, being like English would be their third language, you know, Assyrian, Arabic, and then English. Yeah. You know, arriving to Australia, and unfortunately, as much as Australia is a wonderful country, but has policies that, you know, it's it's out of our hands. So, um, and those policies are, say, for example, if you want to get a job, you've got to have a local work experience in order to be employable. So obviously those vulnerables that have arrived in Australia, English their third language, it will take them for a while for them to learn the language. So hence why they're unemployed and hence why they cannot provide food on the table. Mm. Well, I mean, they can. I mean, you know, we have, um, you know, Department of Human Services, it's called Centrelink that pays, um, you know, social payments. Yeah. But still, sometimes it's not enough because of, you know, the, the high rent yep. and, you know, high living yep. conditions. So um, then, unfortunately, domestic violence arises okay. because the father is stressed because the mother keeps saying, look, how am I going to provide for, you know, food on the table or how am I going to provide, you know, a, a proper un- school uniforms or any other necessity for our children. So domestic violence, I mean, when, when I say domestic violence, it's not just, um, you know, abusing physically, um, you know, their wife, even the wife, the husband. It's not just that the man to, to the woman, but, um, but just verbally or taking control of, you know, the financials, uh, taking control of life. So um, Psychological control. Very, very. And then again, from that, health issues arises. The health issues are not just like mental health issues just for the, the couple, the husband and wife, but even their children. And that way, um, you know, education for some uh, is just tormenting. They can't. They These issues comprehend. like domestic violence and mental health issues, they, they're not even talked about and you're talking about them. Yes. What's the response when you talk about them? Do you, do you get people saying, we don't want to talk about this? Oh, absolutely. See, I've had um, the only way that I can go around of trying to get the informations and obviously help them Um would be when they come and see me saying, for example, look, um, you know, I need a house. We can't afford it. You know, we can't afford the rent. I need to apply for Department of Housing because it's cheaper rent and it's it's affordable. Mm. And then I say, well, well, look, you know, I can't help you. You've got to have an issue for me to be able to, you know, speak to the Department of Housing. And then they they start talking to me about it. Okay. Otherwise, um, no, unfortunately, they feel that it's a taboo to talk because we're such a close-knit community thinking that if they talk about 
those issues that everyone else would know. But praise to God, because I've been there for, for a while now in the Assyrian Resource Center, people have the trust in me to, to talk about it. Yes. You've had seminars about these issues. Yes. And the participants have been mostly women. Yes. And do they open up or is it still very one directional and, and they don't want to open up? They're still, they're still very closed about it. It's, 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 it's always, um, okay. So what I did at one stage, I, we call it a devil's advocate. So I had about 30 women in, 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 in a room. And I brought a devil's advocate, who is a, a you know a very well known lawyer, and so he, 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 she, she. So, so I, you know, she, I, she sat there, and then I said, look, okay. So I brought a psychologist. So you know, indirectly, it was the, the session was about I, I named it family relationship. So when the psychologist asked, you know. Has anyone got any issues like marital issues or with their children? And they all just, they started looking at each other, um, thinking, oh, no, no, of course not. There's no issues. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with my family. You know, I love my husband. My children listen to me. They always, you know, obey my husband and I, no problems. And then my beautiful devil advocate, who has no issues, put up her hand she said I have issues and and everybody just like shocked and they all looked at it it's like no way it's like she she looked at them she goes but why no way I'm a human being they said but you can't and she said but I am I can and I'm not ashamed to talk about it and hence why we are here so we need to help each other he wouldn't believe it, Nino. Straight after, I had hands rising. Really? Yes. And they all started talking about their own issues. And so the, the, um, the course, it, it was a course. It was like a workshop. That was for about six weeks. And they wanted this to go on and on. Do we, we as an Assyrian community, have a problem with domestic violence? Of course we do. Is it worse than other communities? No. No, it's not. It depends. But the only, the only domestic violence that we have, it's because, um, well, I mean, I've had majority of, you know, the arrivals that come in because, you know, the husband was the breadwinner in, in Iraq or Syria. And obviously the wife was at home cooking, cleaning, you know, looking after the kids. So she had no say in the matter. But as soon as, you know, the arrival to Australia, the wife said, well, look, not, you know, I can talk now. And obviously, you know, the, the man is very disappointed that the wife is now, you know, talking over him. And so that's why all these issues arises, because they're not used to that okay. lifestyle. I see. I see. Very interesting. It's something that I've never, ever... Talk, spoken about, dealt with, no, no, but it exists. No, absolutely it does, yes. And you're raising it? Absolutely, yeah. Have there been any interventions that you've made that have made women's lives 
better? Oh, absolutely. See, um, for example, um, say with the Assyrian resource center, the office, um, people think that we're only open two days a week, like for casework days, which is Mondays and Wednesdays. However, we're open from Monday to Friday, but the other days are all for, you know, confidential cases. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> so, so, so the reason, so what so we... So someone's in the office, even though it's closed. Absolutely. We're in the office. We're always in the office. So say, for example, um, you know, I, I, I had a young, very young lady that, you know, she faced domestic violence brutally and was threatened. Yes, absolutely. Was threatened. So... I was because the connections that I have with Department of Police. So uh, with the domestic violence police, I contacted um, him and he came straight into our center. And the lady sat with the police and comfortably spoke to him. And he advised her because they feel threatened if they speak up. But they're scared. They're scared, yeah. So, um, and it was the issue was solved. Yes. Okay. Oh, we had quite a few cases, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And we've been, I've been able to house quite a few of them as well. Okay. Like uh, respite. Respite, yes. And even, you know, mothers with children that are not allowed to see their children. So we were able to help them to settle. Wow. And not just settle, but also at the same time, um, you know, not just having a roof over their head, but we follow up with them, make sure that, you know, either they're studying or they're socialising or they, they've got a job, yeah. The other topic is health. And I remember your advocacy for, for COVID, for vaccinations in a community that was very sceptic of, of the vaccine. And I remember the, the online classes, you know, you held with the, Australia, with the Assyrian doctors what were some of the challenges there? And could you also talk about how you deal with some of the other issues that Assyrians have when it comes to mental health? Okay, COVID was a, was a, 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 very, cha- a very, very big challenge, especially for our community. And the reason for that was because um, when it first started, it was, our, our community was getting so many mixed messages. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't until I received a phone call from Department of Health saying, well, Carmen, your people are not getting vaccinated. Is there an issue? Because, um, you know, other suburbs, other states are getting, you know, slowly they're getting vaccinated, but your community, because they could tell which communities were getting vaccinated. So because of that, and I thought, okay, no problems, I'll, I'll look into it. So I remember calling, contacting, one morning I was driving to work, and then I thought, geez, what can I do to help our community? And we didn't want it to be, I didn't want my community, I love my community, and I didn't want them to be the centre of, you know, the, the... Negative press. Exactly, because they're not. It's just because they were getting those mixed messages and they didn't know what to do. What were the mixed messages? Oh, you know, don't if you know you, you will um, you will you will die or your your DNA will be transferred to to someone else. 
and it's just like you know you will you will have dementia and you will you will you won't you won't be able to bear children so there are so many mixed messages that you know it was just so irrelevant yeah so because of that i contacted our assyrian doctors and i said look i need help so i remember i gathering about 12 12 assyrian doctors and i had a meeting with them and i said look i need your help our community need your help you speak the language and and you know exactly what it is so um and they they were happy to work with me so our very first social media what i also did obviously you know being uh, you know assyrian christians so i asked our bishops from the three different denominations from assyrian church of the east from assyrian uh, of the old calendar and also the catholic church the chaldean church and i was you know i was i was so happy that they came on board and they all spoke about it the, the, the religious leaders said yes we all have had vaccine nothing has happened to us and then so I've got to say to his credit Marmelis was very vocal about this yes and he absolutely. is very firmly you know ad- advising people to get vaccinated yes he was I remember that yes and I was so credit excited absolutely thank you and and I was so excited the fact that like you know that you're saying he was it's like I was the first one to get vaccinated he said so I'm here talking to you and I'm smiling there's nothing wrong with me so that I remember him talking and the Chaldean and the, the, the old calendar and, and after that, there were questions raised, you know, to the doctors, you know, what happens if I get vaccinated? So we went on. And I remember the very first evening that we got Marmiles, Mar Amil, uh, Mariaku first spoke. And then the doctors, the, that was on the Friday evening, I remember. And then on a Saturday we had about 80% of our people got vaccinated. Really? On a Monday, I received a phone call from Department of Health, said, what happened? <laughs> wow. So it was exciting. And hence why we started, you know, having those uh, sessions every week for our people to hear. And it wasn't just for Australia. It was just for all or for overseas. Yeah. And then after that, obviously, when it was total lockdowns then I brought a family relationship person then I brought a psychologist person to talk to us of what can we do while we're sitting at home you know isolated so that really helped our community mm. were there tremendously any, were there any mental health challenges you noticed in the Assyrian community during the lockdowns oh absolutely absolutely and the reason why was because our elderly um Without, because being such a close-knit communities, um, we visit our parents, we visit our, 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 you know, grandparents, our aunties and uncles. And because of COVID, unfortunately, we couldn't visit any of them. And it was just one phone call away. And that really, uh, it, it, was a, it was a stress. It, it was, was hard. Stress. It, was, it, was, it was very it was really hard. tough. Yes. Yeah. The boredom, the boredom turned into something worse. And for me, but also for a lot of other people. Yes. But also, I, I, you know, I'd like to commend our, our churches that um, they, they all, even with their priests and deacons, Shamash, Qash, they all started um, contacting the, the families just to see how things, how are they, yeah. if they needed any food assistance or any issues. 
Do you still notice mental health issues in the Assyrian community, particularly amongst new newly arrived trauma that hasn't that I guess trauma that uh, morphs into something worse? Yes, yes. Um, like PTSD. Yes, absolutely. And the reason why for that is it's because, again, because it's not talked about it. And when they arrive to Australia thinking, I'm not going to talk about it. There's, you know, it's, it's a taboo. We can't talk about it. And so through sessions and consultations and, and you know, talking to these young, we, we visit schools, we talk to these students. So indirectly, slowly, slowly, we're getting them to talk about their issues and hence why um, we have a, um, an, an organisation called Starts here in Sydney. Uh, they've got 160 uh, agencies all over the world. Uh-huh. So Starts is, uh, is an organisation, it's a semi-government. It's an organisation that deals with torture and trauma for refugee arrivals. So we have a very good relationship with them and as soon as we... You refer people refer, to them. We see them, we automatically refer them to them. Okay. 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 That's good. Is there anything you want to say? Any message before? Because this is my last question. Is there any message you have for the Assyrian community? But I, I just, all, all, all I'm asking, you know, our community, uh, especially our youth, to be, you know, um, to work together and to be proud of who they are, not to ignore is that something you notice? Yes, yes. The the people born here? Yeah. Um, well, uh, it's just because of they've been neglected, you know, the, the, the young ones that because how can I say you know with uh, with our with our com- with the community um, the young ones I mean I remember I mean look when it was when 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 my parents used to go to weddings you know they used to they used to force us to go they said do you have to come to the wedding for, with us or they have to come to the parties with us you know it functions with us but there were parents that just didn't didn't they just wanted to go on themselves and they left the children and obviously and that's why those children were isolated they didn't want it to be close to the community and and that's very that's shame. Mm, 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 mm. It's a shame. Yep. They need we need to our community. Look, it's a growing community, and we need to bring the young ones. You know, we need to integrate them to our lifestyle. We need to listen to the young. We need to listen to youth. Just because they're youth, it doesn't mean that you know they don't know. They know more than what we know. Carmen Lazar, thank you very very much for joining us. I thank you, Ninas. <laughs> and there completes episode 181 of the Assyrian podcast with Carmen Lazar. Hope you enjoyed our chat while browsing our store, of course. <laughs> Coming up for episode 182, we hear a Canadian story with Adessa. Looking forward to it. Take care and cheers. <laughs>